How many of y'all are enjoying it so far? Yeah? <clears throat> I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm feeling a little more giddy up in, in my step because I'm excited. God. I'm, I'm, I'm not just preaching this stuff. I'm living this stuff. I want to give the devil a black eye. I want to hit him with everything I've got in my relationship with Jesus because I'm tired of seeing what he does in my life and in the lives of the people of this church. And I'm tired of seeing what he's doing in this community. I'm tired of seeing a cloud of darkness over this community. I want to see the light of God pierce this darkness so that we can reach the people that are outside these walls. Amen? That's what it's all about. And so we've been looking at what the enemy does, and we've been looking at his tactics and how he operates and all of that stuff. And uh, I can see in the looks in your eyes, y'all are wondering what in the world these mannequins are up here for. Are they, are they wigging you out a little bit? Some people have mannequin phobia. I get that. Uh, somebody was telling me, man, you going to put mannequins up there? That's going to wig me out. And they're like, you'll be okay. They're not going to jump up and grab you, hopefully. If they move, I'll be the first one out the door. I promise you. It's all right. Um, we're in the middle of this series, and I love what God is doing. The enemy operates with schemes and tactics. He's got a plan to try to destroy us. But I do know this. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? If you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading here this morning. I'm so excited to preach this this morning. I hope it gets in your spirit like it's in my spirit. 2 Corinthians 2.10-11 through 11 says this, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. You know, that's the game. That's the game. He's trying to outwit us. He's trying to trick us. He's trying to trap us. He's trying to put things systematically in place to get us to fall. That's, that's his whole operation. That's what he does. We, we, we want to do this so that in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. Now, I want to tell you, for every trap that the enemy wants to set in your life and for every little, little plan he's got to mess you up, listen, you do not have to operate in a way where you're unaware of what's happening. You don't have to be a victim. Okay, you don't have to be a victim to what he wants to do in your life. The Bible says he wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy everything about you. You don't have to be a victim. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be a victim to the enemy's schemes. You don't have to be a doormat. You don't have to be a casualty. You can rise up and recognize what he's doing and take him out before he even gets in your camp and operate in the victory that Jesus died to provide for you to operate in. Amen? You don't have to be a victim you don't have to be unaware of what he wants to do in your life but that's how he operates man he he, he tries to to head fake and bob and weave and 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 do all this stuff to trip us up and one of the main ways that he last week we talked about how he operates in our life with temptation to try to get us tripped up this morning i want to talk to you um, about concerning another main way that he tries to operate in our lives, and that's through accusation. Accusation. Boy, he's the master accuser. He is a master accuser. He's always got a finger in your face. He's always telling you what you're not, what you don't have, what you're never going to be, how you've messed up, how you've blown it. That's what he does. And listen, it, sometimes we give him a lot of ammo, ammo to work with because we've, most of us have something in our past that we regret. Most of us have got something in our past that we regret. How many of you would say, 
Pastor Josh, yeah, I got something in my past that I absolutely regret. I know we're in church and we're all supposed to be holy and, and, and loving God, but I'm just telling you, look, yeah, you guys, I got stuff in my past I regret. I bet you if you could go back in time, you would talk to yourself and you would go, don't date this dude. Don't date him. This is bad news. He's going to break your heart. He's going to cheat on you with your best friend. Don't go anywhere near him, you know. Or don't date this girl. She looks cute now, but she's psycho. She's crazy. You don't want it. Yeah. We can all go back and look at, at things like that and say, I regret relationships. I regret mistakes. I regret not applying myself in school. I regret, you know, all of these things, the drugs I did, the beer I drank, the, the people that... That, that there's this friction with that I probably took too far and lost my cool and all this stuff. We regret things, you know. And sometimes we've got things that happen in our lives that are just embarrassing. They're just embarrassing. I mean, have y'all just ever just done the big public swan dive and embarrassed yourself in a big way before? Like, I do that. I've got kids. I don't have to embarrass myself. They do it for me a lot. They, they do it for me a lot. You just never know what's going to come out of the mouth of a kid sometimes, like I was out at a, at a restaurant with my oldest daughter, Hannah, one time, and I think it was Golden Corral, actually. We went there for a little daddy-daughter day because she likes the chocolate fountain. That's what it was. It was Golden Corral. She likes to bury everything in chocolate. Um, so we were there standing in line, and I was fixing to pay the cashier, and, and this lady walks up who has... I mean, just, I'm not trying to be mean, but she just had, I mean, just moles all over her face, just everywhere. It looked like somebody had just tried to put one on every square inch of her face. She just had it there. And uh, so I saw her walking up, and you want to be polite because we've all got stuff about ourselves we don't like, right? You know, a little too tall, a little too short, a little too chubby, you know, this, that, one arm's longer than the other. We've all got stuff that we don't like about, about ourselves. So, you know, she, she just had, you know, some warts on her face, or moles on her face, rather, and, and it looked a little weird, but I was like, you know what? Here comes a great opportunity for me to teach my daughter that it's not about how people look like on the outside. It's about what's on the inside that matters. So this lady comes walking up, and everybody kind of gets a little awkward and is looking down, and so I try to be nice to her, and I say, hey, how you doing? And she looked at me and kind of smiled, and then Hannah goes, Daddy, what's that all over her face? I mean, what do you say then? Uh, no, nothing, baby. She's just got some stuff on her face. It's okay. No, but what is that? So, and Hannah, yeah, she embarrassed the mess out of me. Abby did this the other day at the park with me. We were out there playing on Wednesday, and we were out there by ourselves, and then this busload of kids came up, and everybody's playing on the park, and this lady comes walking up, and Abby looks at her, and she goes, Daddy, what's that? Not who is that. She's got, she's, what's that? What's that? That's a woman. What's that? What's that? I'm like, how do you explain that? I'm like, come on, baby. Let's go over here to the slide. Let's just walk away and go to the slide. And kids will embarrass you. I was, uh, I think I told you guys this a while back. I was riding down the road with Abby. And, you know, she's all about, she's still all about animal noises and animal sounds. So we were driving down the road and we were playing this game, pretending like we were different animals. And so I say, uh, I'm a duck, quack, 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 and she'll go, duck, quack, 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 you know, we're driving, and I got the window down, and the breeze is blowing, and we're driving through town, we're going somewhere, and I'm like, I'm a dog, bark, 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 
I'm a dog. She's in the back. Bark, bark, bark. And we pull up to the red light, and I go, I'm a cow. Moo. Like that. And you can hear her in the back, moo. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm a cow. Moo. Then I remembered I'm at a red light. My window's down. And I looked over, and the dude in the car next to me in the passenger seat's just going. <laughs> and then I realized Abby's window's up. It's tinted, and he can't see what's going on back there. So he just sees an adult sitting at a red light going, I'm a cow. Moo! Like that. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. So I'm like, I got to tell this guy. So I started to go, no, man, there's a, before I could even get kid back there, the light turned green, and he was gone. And I'm like, he's going to think I'm a psycho. Yeah, and like my greatest fear, this is confession time, my greatest fear is that guy's going to walk in church one day and look up at me and go, oh, yeah. So kids will embarrass you sometimes, but we've all got that stuff, you know, that we regret. We all got that stuff that embarrasses us. We've all got, if we're saved and we have a relationship with Jesus, we've all got something called a testimony. We've all got something called a testimony. We've all got, and we've all experienced this thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it talks about this. It talks about how in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. So this morning, just for illustration purposes, this is going to be the old us. Okay? And this is going to be the new us. Now, we've all been here, right? We've all been here. We all know what it's like to be this person. To be dead on the inside. The Bible says that when we're here, we're literally spiritually dead on the inside. Spiritually dead on the inside with no hope. We're a slave to sin. We're in that bondage in our lives. We have no hope of escaping it in and of ourselves. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, something happens. And we come alive on the inside for the first time. And that part of us that was dead spiritually comes to life. And we become what the Bible calls a new creation. Saved, full of the Spirit of God, full of life. And we begin to understand His passion for us and how much He loves us and His purpose for our lives. And things begin to change. Like we go through this process of changing from the old to the new. And we become a new creation. Now let me ask you a question. When we're saved and we become this new creation and we are set free from the power of sin in our lives, does sin stop operating in our lives? See, some of you don't know what to say right now. And the answer is, positionally, you're free from sin because Christ sets you free. You're a new creation. And you have power and you have authority to make a choice now where before you didn't have the ability to make a choice because you were a slave and you were in bondage to it. Making sense now? Slave and bondage. Now you have a choice. But that nature within you, that nature inside of you, is still in operation. Because when you were this guy over here or you were this lady over here, spiritually you were dead, but you still had your body and you still have what we call a soul, which is where your mind, your will, and your emotions operate. That's what we would consider the soul. That's what the Bible calls your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions right here. So you remember all the stuff that you used to do. And you have an emotional connection to all the stuff that you used to do. You remember that past. You remember the mistakes. And you've got this stuff on you called flesh. 
that craves and desires to sin. It craves and it desires carnality. Now, when you're saved and you become this new creation, this right here, positionally, you're free from. But how many of you this morning are inside a body? Yeah, that's what I thought. Pretty much all of us. Pretty much all of us have a body. See, that didn't just disappear when Jesus became your Lord and Savior. You still got that. You still got the memories. You still got the emotional connections. And so when we become that new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. Yeah, as long as we focus on this. As long as we focus on who we are in Christ now and who we are positionally in Christ. Now this is where the enemy comes in. Because the enemy loves to be a master accuser of us. Are you following me so far? So we're all in this process of transitioning mentally, emotionally, and in our soul, and in our body from where we are here to over here. Because we're alive in our spirit now, but all this stuff we're trying to train and transfer over. It's what the Bible calls crucifying our flesh, making ourselves obedient to the word of God. This is an act of discipline. This is the choice that we make. Now, before, we could not make that choice. Now we can make the choice. Now we have the opportunity. The devil knows about this right here. The devil saw all the mistakes. The devil saw all the past. The devil saw all the stuff that we regret. He sees all the embarrassing moments. And more than that... He knows the conflict that we have when we stand right here. He knows the conflict that's inside of us between this right here and who we're called to be positionally in our relationship with God. He knows the conflict between this and who we used to be. And so he hammers, he hammers, and he accuses, and he reminds. Because what he wants to do is to get your focus off of this right here onto this right here. Because he knows and he understands that what we focus on will determine how we see ourselves. So he'll remind you of what you used to do. He'll remind you of everything that you're not. And he'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know about all of this, but don't forget about this too. Don't forget... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those, all those other people, they're worshiping, they're praising God, they're lifting their hands, they look amazing... But you know who you really are. You know what's going on inside of you. This is how he operates. He accuses. Because if he can get our eyes off of this and get us focused on this, we miss out on everything that God has for us. We're in a constant state of frustration with ourselves, and we always see what we're not. Because he knows that when we focus our eyes on this, and we focus on who God wants us to be, and our relationship with him, and we literally step into becoming that new creation... One step at a time that God wants us to be. When we catch sight of that, guys, we become unstoppable. We become unstoppable. And he doesn't want us to be unstoppable. He wants us to be tied up with this. I want to challenge you this morning to focus on who God has called you to be, not who you used to be. That's who you used to be. This is who you are now. You're free. You're full of power. You're full of purpose. You're above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. You are everything that the Bible says that you are. And you can have everything that the Word of God says that you can have. When you get this, you can become unstoppable unstoppable force in this world and this is what he wants most to stop from happening so he accuses he accuses he accuses and he tries to cover us with guilt and cover us with shame because he knows what we focus on 
determines how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves determines how we operate spiritually in our lives. There's a great example of how the enemy likes to accuse in the book of Zechariah. We're going to put this up on the screen for you and read through this. This is uh, just an eye-opening exchange found in Scripture. Verses 1 through 5 in the book of Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. I want to stop there for a second. Joshua the high priest. Do we have any high priests here in the house this morning? Like ritually clean. All the men are saying I'm the high priest of my home. I get that. Like ceremonially. Is anybody in here the high priest of a church that we know of? No? Anybody here qualified to be? Um, I want you to stop for a second. And I want you to think about the most spiritual person that you've ever encountered in your life. Like when you think of a godly person, you think of this person. And like Billy Graham doesn't count, okay? It's got to be somebody that you know, somebody that you know personally. Unless you personally know Billy Graham, then, you know, good for you. Uh, But somebody that you know and get that person in your mind. I'm going to wager that on their best day, on their best day, that person as far as spiritual discipline and consecration, probably wouldn't come close to this guy Joshua who was a high priest here because of what had to happen ceremonially ceremonially, and, and, and with the rituals of becoming a high priest. This guy had to be on it spiritually. He had to be on it spiritually. Why? Because here's why. Because every once in a while, the high priest would get to go into the temple and he'd get to go into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God resided. Okay? And when he went in there, he'd have a bell in one hand, and he'd have another thing carrying incense in the other, and he'd go in there ringing the bell. When he walked in, they would tie a rope to his foot when he walked into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. Because if he walked into the presence of God with one speck of sin in his heart or in his life, the presence of God would strike him dead. He'd fall over dead, and they'd have to take the rope and pull him out because nobody wanted to go in there after him because they knew they weren't ready to walk into the presence of God. You had to be spiritually sharp to walk into the presence of God. I got a question. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but thinking about this, how many of you trust where you're at right now spiritually enough to walk into a holy of holies like that and know that you wouldn't be struck dead. See what I'm saying? So <clears throat> the guy had a lot, he had a lot of motivation to be right with God. Okay, a lot of motivation to be right with God. On top of that, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. And not like being able to quote it, but to quote it, chapter verse, and teach it. Not just recite it, but to know it. Well, he would have memorized the Levitical laws. You know how many of those there were? 613. 613. And not just memorize them, but understand them and be able to teach them. So this guy, spiritually, was the man. Guess what? That's why he got to be the high priest. They did it on rotation, but this guy, you got to be sharp. So this guy, at that level, is standing before the angel of the Lord. And look what Satan is doing. Satan's standing at his right side to accuse him. Someone who's that spiritually sharp 
is still subject to accusation from the enemy. What makes us think we're going to get an exempt stamp where we just, I don't have to be tempted anymore. I don't have to be accused anymore. I don't have to do this and that. If this guy has to deal with it, we're going to have to deal with it too. We're going to have to deal with it too. Satan's standing there on his right side to accuse him. That's what he wants to do. Satan, he's, he's like a little brat on the playground who'll trick you into doing something bad, and then he'll run and tell on you for doing the something bad. This is what he does. I told you, he did it, he did it, he did it. It's what he's doing, accusing him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I love that. In other words, shut up. Shut up. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? I love this exchange. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? What is he saying here? I know. He's saying, I know. I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know what condition he's in. He's a burning stick that I snatched out of the fire. I know. You're not telling me anything I don't already know about this guy. Now, I want to tell you this morning, there is not one thing in your life, even the stuff that we regret, that God doesn't know about. And he still loved us enough to snatch us out of the fire. Okay? You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel shame. You don't have to feel like there's anything between you and God that would keep you from coming into the presence of God because there's nothing you can do that would make him love you any more than he loves you right now. He knows. He knows. He knows about it. He knows about the struggle. He knows about the conflict. He knows about this stuff right here that tries to carry its way over. He knows about all of that. And he still says, hey, I love them. I'll die for them. I'll pay the price. It's no big deal. But look what happens here. He doesn't just say, I know everything about this guy. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes because, you know, our righteousness before God, the Bible says, is like what? Filthy rags. On our best day, we're never going to measure up in the presence of God. He was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So watch what God does. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. That's what God does in our lives. He sees where we are. It doesn't intimidate him one bit. He, re he removes the sin from our lives. And then he takes off the filth that we have and he clothes us in his grace and in his mercy and in his righteousness. And he sanctifies us as we stand in front of him. Aren't you grateful that God has done this in your life? That he saw where you were, loved you anyway, and said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to put my grace. I'm going to put my covering on you. So when people People see you, they don't see the filth. They see the clothing that I have put on you. I want to tell you this morning, you need to learn to begin to see yourself like God sees you. You're holy. You're, pur you're pure. You're righteous. You walk with the presence and power of God everywhere you go if you have a relationship with Him. Don't let the enemy accuse you and get you thinking, this is who you are. This is who you used to be. This is who you are. This is what you did. This is who you are now. Amen? Man, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. That is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So he likes to tempt and he likes to accuse because he knows about this conflict that's going on inside of us. That's what he does. And so... And so he, he plays this game 
where he'll come to you and he'll whisper all this stuff. And it, he'll come to you and he'll say stuff like this. He'll say, um, if you were really a Christian, then you wouldn't fill in the blank on that. If you were really a Christian, if you were really Christian, then you wouldn't. You ever had times in your walk with God where you were struggling with something and wrestling with something and you asked yourself, holy cow, am I even saved? I mean, do I even have a real relationship with God? Because if I had this, would this struggle be happening inside of me like this? Have you ever had that? I've gone through that times in my walk with God. It's like, man, I thought I was close. I thought I was this right here. But this junk right here keeps popping up inside of me. And I feel like sometimes, like, as, as much as I try to become this, this right here has just got hooks and lines attached to me. And I can't fully separate over to here. The reality is that while we're in this stuff right here and we're breathing this air on this side of eternity... We're going to have this conflict, okay? Now, I know in church we tell people, once you get saved, your life's going to be changed. You'll never be the same again, and that's true. But what we don't tell people is that this stuff right here is still going to be there. When you get saved, you give your life to God. If you've got bad breath before you get saved, guess what you're going to have after? Bad breath. I guarantee you. You'll have bad breath. Now, that doesn't mean that God cannot miraculously set you free or deliver you from addictions, from bondage, or anything like that, because he can and he will. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with something, I'm here to tell you the presence of God is here to set you free from that. You don't have to struggle with that. You don't have to live with that in your life. But what I do know is this, once you get over that, that doesn't mean that this is going to go away because this carnality and this old nature stays with you while you're on this side of eternity. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans 7. Go home and read it sometime. Rock your world. I'm so grateful that books like Romans 7 is in the Bible. And I'm even more grateful that Romans 8 follows Romans 7. Because it gives us the key to victory. That struggle is going to be there. But it'll come to you and say, well, if you're a Christian, well, you, you wouldn't struggle with You wouldn't struggle with, you wouldn't struggle. And I would say this. I wouldn't say because I'm a Christian I wouldn't struggle with this. I would say that since I'm saved and since I'm a Christian, now I can struggle with it. Now I can fight against it. Now I have a choice. Before I didn't, but now I feel the conflict and I can choose to be who God has called me to be. Where before I didn't have the choice. So I praise God for the struggle because that means that my eyes are open. And I know the difference, and I know who he's called me to be. I don't have to settle for this. Well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't, and this is how he gets this, you wouldn't lose your temper with your kids like you do. Man, if, you, if you're in trouble for losing your temper with your kids, I think every parent in here is going to go to hell. <laughs> you know, but he'll beat you up over stuff like that. Or if you're a Christian, you wouldn't wrestle and struggle with this, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Can I just be honest with you guys a little bit? Um, I've been real open and honest, like my past and my testimony and the stuff that I've come out of. Uh, lust was a huge struggle for me early in my walk with God because of things that I was exposed to growing up. I was exposed to stuff that no kid should ever be exposed to. 
I saw stuff kids shouldn't see. I was at parties kids shouldn't be at. I, I just saw stuff that I shouldn't have saw. Um, and because of that, it, it gave me a warped mental pattern for a long time. So when I got saved, I began to wrestle and struggle with this. And I would go through times where I just felt filthy spiritually, wrestling and fighting with this stuff because it was disgusting to me because God showed me who I could be. And, and, man, I would do good for a while, and then I would trip up. And here would come the enemy. See, you're not who you say you are. See, all this stuff isn't real. See, you'll never be able to do oh, That's for everybody else. It's not for you. This is you right here. I had to go through that battle and fight through that and pray and pray and pray. And, and, but I noticed the closer I got to God, the less the struggle became. The closer I got to Him, the less the desire was. Now, it didn't ever go away 100%. But I tell you this, I don't have near the struggle that I used to have. I don't have near the struggle that I In fact, it's, I'd say it's almost 100% gone. But I know this, I'm smart. I don't want to put myself in situations where I'm going to leave the door open for this to come back. Okay? So I'm going to be smart about that because it was a struggle in my life for so long that the enemy hammered me with. And still sometimes he hammers me with it. Like my, my wife and my kids were talking about going to the beach for vacation this year, figuring out how we can scrape together money to go to the beach and have a little time away. And they're thinking, yeah, the beach is going to be fun. Yeah, the beach is going to be sand. Yeah, the beach is going to be waves, and we can build sand castles and, and have fun in the water. And I'm thinking, no, the beach is going to be naked people. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Like, their trip to the beach is going to be, this is awesome. My trip to the beach is going to be like, this is really neat sand. This is really cool sand. That's an awesome sidewalk right there. These people got some really weird tan lines on their feet. You know, that's going to be my trip to the beach because I want to be careful. You know, not that I, I couldn't look around and see things and, and not be tempted by it. I get that. I'm at a place where I would feel comfortable doing that, but I don't want to open up that door. I'll be looking at my wife the whole time. Dang, girl, you look good in that suit. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I need right there. You know, that'd be it. But, but guys, you understand this because a lot of guys deal with lust and wrestle with lust. Girls do too, but I don't think at the level that men do just because of how we're wired. So the enemy will come in. Or how about this one? If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't struggle with depression. You wouldn't struggle with anxiety like you do. If God really was inside of you, why would you struggle with those things? Have you ever had people say stuff like that to you? Well, all you need to do is just pray and claim your victory. I prayed and claimed my victory. There's just something going on inside of me I don't quite figure out. I don't just can't quite figure out right now. You know? Well, you need to overcome that fear. Now, I will say this. Most, most of the time, anxiety can be controlled by our thought process and choosing to trust God in situations versus freaking out. I do get that most of the time. But I do know this with anxiety and depression. Some of it is genetically predisposed. Some of it, there are chemical imbalances that cause it. Some of it is the result of lasting PTSD, where we've had a traumatic event in our life, and it's affected us psychologically, and it's something that we have to process through. So I get that, too. Listen, not all anxiety, not all anxiety could be, caught up in like a spiritual issue or a spiritual um, solution. I do think God can heal and God can restore. But here's the deal. If I fell off that stage today and I broke this arm right here, 
I broke this arm right here. And everybody came up and prayed for me. And my arm was not miraculously healed. And I had to go to the hospital. And I had to get the bone set. And I had to wear a cast. Would anybody think that I didn't have a relationship with God because I had a broken arm? Would anybody think that I didn't have faith in God because my arm stayed broken? You know, we don't think about traumatic events in our lives that can break things up here. And sometimes it has to be set. And sometimes a process of healing has to take place. Okay? And so it's just, there's a lot of stuff at work in there. So don't buy into this lie. Now, do I think God can eradicate all of it and set us free? Absolutely. But listen, if you're here this morning and you're wrestling with that stuff, I don't want you to think that you're less than because you are just as important to God. And there's nothing wrong with you that God can't heal and restore. And even if you have to go through that, don't let the enemy accuse you and make you think that you're less than. Amen? Don't let him make you think that you're less than. Yeah, he does that. And because here, here's the thing with us sometimes. We like to think when, it, when, when we come with things we struggle with that, especially in church in the South, we have this mindset where we think behavior is an indication of spiritual maturity. Now, it can be because I think God changes you from the inside out and you become more like him and less like this as you draw closer to him. But we're bad in the South about behavior modification where we think that if we act good and we act right, that it gets us closer to God. That's backwards. We get closer to God, then we begin to change. Not we change and we get closer to God. You can't earn your relationship with God. And so what we tell people is, is, is that it... That when God changes you, we get this mental picture where God's taking a bad person and he's making them good. God doesn't take bad people and make them good. He takes spiritually dead people and he brings them to life. Okay? The struggle, the struggle takes place. The enemy comes in and, and he begins to tell you lies and accuse you. You ever had the enemy drop this one on you where he says, you know what? Um, God's just punishing you for. God's just punishing you for. Fill in the blank. Now, I will say this, because I know some of you are freaking out right now. There is a consequence for sin. Okay? There's a penalty for sin. There's a consequence for sin. Sin is always going to lead to death every time. Always going to lead to death. The Bible says that you're going to reap what you sow. If you make bad choices, you're going to reap the benefit of that. If you, if you make selfish choices, you're going to reap the benefit of that. If I got a bowl of soup that I'm eating and it's just scalding hot and I can see the steam coming off of it and I take my spoon and I dip it in that soup and I just slurp it on down and it burns the roof of my mouth and it burns my throat going down, whose fault is that? I chose to do it. Now I've got to deal with the consequences of it. Is God judging me and punishing me with a burnt throat because I ate hot soup? No. I ate the hot soup. There's a consequence for that action. That's just a law and a principle that's at work in this world and in this universe and it's found in Scripture. If I eat the soup that's hot, I'm going to burn my mouth. That doesn't mean that God is punishing me with a burnt mouth because I ate the soup. We think that God punishes us with the consequences of our decisions sometimes. The enemy will come in and he'll try. Now listen, does God punish people? Sometimes he does. 
Will God judge a nation? Sometimes he will. That's patterned in Scripture. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead in the presence of God because they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. That's New Testament. That's under grace. But listen, listen to me now. This is where we get this mixed up. This is the exception and not the rule. Okay? This is the exception and not the rule. God's motive to us is not to be the guy up in heaven on a throne with a big stick ready to whack us every time we mess up. That's not his motive towards us. And, and this is what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to distort your view of God to think that way. So when he comes to you to accuse and to lie and says, hey, God's punishing you for this, he's trying to, to distort your view of God. He's trying to mess you up so that you see God in a different way. Some people think because they get sick that it's God judging them because of sin in their lives. Probably not the case. Probably you got the flu because somebody you came in contact with had the flu, and we just pass the flu to each other sometimes. That's the way the world works because the world has fallen in sin, and there's disease, and sometimes bad stuff happens to good people. That doesn't mean that God's judging you. That doesn't mean that God's punishing you. Oh, that's extreme. I knew a guy who legitimately felt like, felt like God punished him by giving his mom cancer because of sin in his life. Some people have a warped view of how God operates. The enemy wants to distort how you see him to get you to think that God is a God that's just out to get you. And he's not because if he can get you thinking that way, he can get you focused on this right here instead of this right here. Because how can you trust God to make you into this if your view of him is a God who's ready to destroy you every time you mess up? See what I mean? You'll go back to this every time. You'll be defeated, and you'll be destroyed. That's how he operates. How about, how about um, a teenage girl <clears throat> who gets pregnant? Who gets pregnant, and then after a few months, she has a miscarriage and loses the baby. And here comes every holy bun in the church. See, the Lord's judging her, and the Lord killed that baby because that baby was conceived in sin. Not really. But that's what people think sometimes, and that's what the enemy will tell us. God's punishing me for, or my kids are acting crazy because of the stuff that I did in my past. And I'm paying now for the stuff that I did because of, through the, the mistakes of my children. That's not God's motive towards us, people. Not God's motive towards us. Romans chapter 5 says it like this. And I want you to get this. this if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to get... The heart of God towards us through this message today. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. If God wanted to judge us, he never would have sent Jesus to receive our judgment. If God wanted to destroy us, he never would have put the penalty for our sin on that cross with Jesus. If God wanted to see us burn in hell for eternity, Jesus would not have sacrificed himself so that we could be free from sin. I want you to see this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He died for us. 
He died for us in our worst condition. He died for us when we were here because he wanted us to be over here. God's not trying to punish you this morning. There may be consequences for decisions we've made in our lives, but his motive towards us is not to destroy us. His motive towards us is love. His motive towards us is grace. His motive towards us is freedom and restoration. He wants to see us become this person right here. He loves you so much this morning. I don't think you understand. If you could get a glimpse of how much God God loves you today. It would change your life completely. It would change your life completely. It would take your relationship with him to a whole new level. He loves you more than you'll ever know. Here's the last one, or one of the last ones that the enemy will throw at you. And this is the one he tells people all the time. He said, you're, you're too damaged. You're too damaged. There's been too much that's happened to you. You're not salvageable. You're not, gonna, you're not salvageable. You're too broken. You're too damaged. I see people struggle with this a lot <clears throat> because some people get beat up by life. And we see the brokenness that we carry with us. But what we don't see is how God can take broken things and put them together to make them whole again. The enemy wants to succeed this right here all the trauma all the disappointment all the betrayal all the horrible things that happen because of the bad decisions that have damaged us in life and now people say well I know God loves me and I'm going to do my best to be this person but I feel so dirty and I feel so busted up because of what happened back here I'll just be the guy that sits in church and raises my hands, and I'll be thankful that I get to go to heaven. But I don't think that I can be used to do anything for the kingdom of God because I'm too jacked up. This is what the enemy will say to you. This is what he'll say to you. He'll, he messes with people, especially when we've got um, a past that involves a lot of sexual sin before we come to know the Lord. And I know a lot of people say, well, sex is just physical. It's just physical. It's just physical. And my question is, if it's just something that's physical, then why are people so damaged emotionally from it? Why is there so much heartache and trauma that's associated with it after the breakup and after it stops? There's more to it than just the physicality of what happens. You feel dirty. You feel dirty. And some of you are here this morning, and you're married, and you've got a past that haunts you and you feel less than and you feel like you feel like you can never have the intimacy in your marriage that God wants you to have because of the mistakes that you made in your past and I'm here to tell you that we serve a God that can make all things new we serve a God that can restore we serve a God that forgives and he can heal and get you past that and make you have a beautiful marriage and a beautiful relationship amen Sometimes when women especially have a past like that, because, because women learn early that if we, they give that to a man, then a man will give them attention in return. And that becomes a bartering system. And, and women sometimes gauge their worth by, by how they look and their appearance and what they're able to, how they're able to present themselves sexually to a man. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. But Christian women especially that have a past like this, they, they carry guilt from it and they feel like they have to settle for less than in their relationships going forward. And they feel like, I can never have a man of God. 
I can never be married to an awesome man of God because of this, what I've, what's happened in my past. I, I, why, would, why would this awesome man of God ever want anything to do? And let me tell you, ladies, don't settle for God's best for your life. Don't settle for God's best for your life. You're beautiful. You're a princess in the kingdom of God. Don't you let the enemy sell you a bunch of lies. You can have, you can have what God says you can have. Amen? So a lot of people, when they go through divorce, the big D in church, especially in the South, is like the scarlet letter of sin. Scarlet letter, there's churches that wouldn't, if I was divorced, there are churches that wouldn't let me minister in their church this morning just because of what happened in my past. Uh, they don't want to know any of the details, none of the questions. They just, nothing to do with it. And people carry damage and hurt. Listen, divorce is never the answer. It's never the answer unless it's just an extreme case. There are biblical outs for divorce, but I always encourage people to fight for the marriage, to do what they can for the marriage, because divorce is not a solution. Divorce just brings a problem on top of another problem. Complicates a whole lot of situations. But I do know this, that there are some times where you fight and you do everything that you can do to save the marriage, and the other person still wants nothing to do with it, and you got to deal with the devastation that comes with it. A lot of people feel guilty and a lot of people feel like they're too damaged for God to do anything through they feel like people perceive them in a different way and I'm here to tell you you might be divorced you might have gone through a divorce in your life but that doesn't mean that you're divorced from the presence of God amen God can still heal God can still restore God can still do awesome things in and through you don't let the enemy accuse you and lie to you and get you off track too damaged too damaged too damaged that's what's happened to you keep saying that's what's happened to you it's not who you are in christ that's what happened to you that's not who you are in christ i know a guy who who dealt with this he had been in ministry for a while and went through a tough stretch some things happened and he had to step down and things just kind of snowballed in his life and the enemy started pounding him Try to get him to believe that he was too damaged to do anything. He was too damaged and too messed up. But what had happened was something that could not be put back together. And on top of all of that, he had to deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of sickness and a physical condition that kept him in constant pain. And with all the, the public stuff that goes along with that and then the pain that you deal with daily with what he was dealing with, and he's just pounding him and pounding him and pounding him. And he got to the point where he said, you know what? If this is how it's going to be, I just don't want to live anymore. I'm done. And the enemy accused and accused and accused. And this guy said, I'm out. He took over 200 pills. Percocets and muscle relaxers took over 200 pills to kill himself because he was done. He said, just so I can make sure that this job is done right, I'm going to set this house on fire that I'm in before I black out. So he OD'd, set the house on fire because he was done. He felt like he was too damaged. And just to make sure that the job was done right, after the pills and after the fire, he opened up both arms just to make sure that the job was done right. 
He blacked out thinking that was it. He was gone. He was at that place in his life. I just felt, he just felt so damaged is what he said. By the grace of God. And a network of friends, somebody was able to find him before he bled out. Before he died. They were able to bandage him up and save him. Get him to the hospital where he could get care. And they did a lot of work. He was really messed up and almost didn't make it, but he made it. But see, he still felt so damaged in his life that that wasn't the only attempt. He, he attempted suicide several other times after that because he was just done. He was just done. Beat up, depressed, had enough of it. I'm too damaged. I can't do this anymore. But he had an encounter with God. And he caught a glimpse of who God wanted him to be. And he realized that he didn't have to hold on to this. And he began to realize that he wasn't too damaged for God to use. That his life wasn't worthless. That he had purpose. That he had a future. That God had a will and a plan for his life. And he became this right here. He rededicated his life to God. And I want to tell you this. It was so awesome to watch him get baptized in this church in April because he rededicated his life to God and he said, I'm making a public confession and profession of my faith. We baptized him. He's been on fire for God since then. He's involved in this church. And if you look back there right now, he's running a camera. Teddy, will you wave to everybody? Don't you ever think that you're too damaged for God to use because we serve a God that restores. We serve a God that brings hope. We serve a God that gives you a future. You are not too damaged for God to use. You're not too damaged for God to use. And he'll lie to you and say, yeah, you are. No, 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 you're not. You're not, you're not, you're not. Sometimes the enemy will come to you and he'll lie to you and he'll say, you can't be loved after that. You can't be loved after that. Too damaged. I've had too much stuff happen, and I'm here to tell you, you are not too far gone for God to do something in your life. We say, you, can't, you don't think you can be loved by, like that? Stop and think for a second. Dave, if you will, please come play. Stop and think for a second. All the stuff that God has allowed people to go through in Scripture and still use them and still did something powerful in their lives through. Think about, think, you think, well, I've messed up too much. I, I don't, we, we, we look at all the, all, the, all the failures and all the things that, that have happened, and we think that it disqualifies us from being used by God. And I'm here to tell you, God uses disqualified and unqualified people every day to accomplish his will. And stop and think about this. He, he used David, who committed adultery and murder. He used David. To get the supplies together and lay the foundation work for building his temple. He called David a man after his own heart. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. You're not too far gone for God to use. He used Peter who was a hothead. He was a hothead who had trouble controlling his emotions. Who was always making these big promises. Because Peter always, you would would think from the stuff that he said and he did. Peter was always in a position where he felt like he had to prove himself. And be something that he wasn't. So that people would think a certain way of him. 
Peter was called out later by Paul for being a racist. (laughs) And Jesus said, you know what? I know all that. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to build this whole thing around you. And you're going to leave my church in Jerusalem. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You haven't gone too far for God to use you. He called Paul into ministry. Paul was a guy, used to be known as Saul. He was persecuting the church, putting people in jail, and seeing people put to death. Paul single-handedly tried to wipe out the church. And God said, you know what? I want to take a murderer, and I want to change his life. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament that we read today. Paul was the first missionary sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. We are here today because of the ministry of a guy who was a murderer. You think about that? You haven't haven't done too much. You haven't done too much. You haven't fallen too far. God can always restore you. Because what you've done in the past does not qualify you. This is what you did. This is not who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, all things are made new. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Don't let the enemy lie to you and accuse you and keep you focused here when he should be focused here. Are you hearing me this morning? Because I want to show you something that you might not have thought about. This right here, this is when you're at your worst. And this is where God loved you the most. And you think, this was my worst day. This was my worst day when it all fell apart. And I want to tell you something. That on his best day, the enemy couldn't take you out on your worst day. Because you're still here. And you're still breathing. And if you're still here and you're still breathing, then there's hope. And if there's hope, then there's a future. And if there's a future, then there's purpose. And I'm here to tell you that God has got a plan for your life. Don't you ever think that you're less than. Don't you ever think that you can't have this. This is who you are. That's what you did. That's who you used to be. This is who you are in Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's stand to our feet and give God praise that we don't have to settle for who we used to be. We don't have to settle for the lies of the enemy. We don't have to settle for the traps of the enemy. We don't have to stand and buy into the accusation that he throws towards us. It's not who we are now.